Ignition sequence starts. Three, two, one. Welcome back to University, everybody, the podcast where we challenge the way you think about Earth, existence, and the unknown. I'm AJ Perrin. Your host with me, as always, is Judson Martin. All right. And we're back this week to talk to you a little bit about dark energy and dark matter. And I'm glad we're doing this episode because I recently looked up on Spotify. I did a search. I was like, okay, I want to listen to something about dark energy because I was on my way back road tripping to school. Sure. And I was like, I need a time killer. Let's see what other people have to say about this stuff. And it's pretty much zilch. I know that Neil deGrasse Tyson did a Q&A session where, on Star Talk Radio where he talked about dark energy. So I almost queued into that one, but then I got sucked into the trap of Stuff You Should Know, which is like, if you've never heard that podcast, it's probably one of the best ones out there for people who just like random information. So, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. I was bowling with my family over the weekend, and all I could think about was the garbage that I learned from stuff you should know on how they like oil the bowling lanes and stuff like that. Just random. Yeah. Isn't it like, isn't there like more oil like in the middle or something? Than yeah. The yeah. They do it very specifically in like the yeah. PBA, which just the fact that a pro bowling association exists <laughs> is awesome. Um, they're really specific about that kind of stuff. So yeah. Cool. Bef- yeah. Before we get started, Judd, based on that podcast episode from how, or stuff you should know that I was listening to, I have a very important question for you. Okay. Okay, and I need you to think very critically. Oh, gosh. Do you think we should contact aliens, or do you think we should be trying to contact aliens? You know, what what are the pros and cons of doing something like that? Because there are a lot of people out there that might think that it's dangerous. Okay. Um, dangerous? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think it would be dangerous, personally. Um, but there would be a lot of questions as to if we could even reach get a message to them, mm-hmm. obviously there's language barrier if right. they can even communicate. And then there's yeah. also the fact that, like, how are they? So I know we sent the golden record. Right, the golden on Voyager record, 1. Right, and right. that is, uh, like, binary. Yeah. It's, it's ones and zeros. And so Because that's the language of the universe is, like, yeah, the absence assumed, of something or the presence of something. We assume that that would be the most, um, like, well-known or, like, a, another civilization uh, would hopefully understand that the best over any other kind of way to encode information yeah, is binary right but there's also the, that's an assumption so they might not even be able to understand that and so if they can't understand that then there's not much yeah you can tell them <laughs> yeah exactly no i i agree with you that i don't think it'd be dangerous because just i mean think about it this way if we had the technology to go out and find another alien species or something like that or we found another one exists yeah i don't think our first in, um, inclination would be to do harm to those people, you know? Right. And especially if we could contact them before they could contact us, that means our technology is more advanced. So what do we have to get from even, you know, taking over those people? Right. And then I wonder, I don't know the, like, the science behind or where we sent it, I guess. I'm yeah. sure we sent it to, like, a more to Voyager densely, 1, you mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like where, the, where it's going. My guess would be... It's a more densely populated area of stars or something. Yeah. Like, it's in interstellar space right now, so in between solar systems. Right. But is it trying to reach another solar system, or is it trying to reach another galaxy? You know, probably not another galaxy, because that would take millions and millions of years. And it's only going, you know, upwards yeah, of over 10,000 miles an hour, so it's pretty slow in terms of space travel. I would assume... I don't know that they had a planned destination. I don't really know. I guess that would be, that could be a whole other episode. Episode in the future. <laughs> so we're going to revisit that topic about whether aliens or whether we should try to contact aliens and stuff. Yeah. I, don't know. I thought, cool. yeah. But that was just something I came across as I was doing my episode. And here's a fun tidbit is actually, um, actually we'll save that for Thursday because we're recording again on Thursday and we'll ask our special guest uh, about that because it has to do a little bit with him. So without further ado, let's jump right into this episode where we're going to talk about dark matter, dark energy. Alrighty. So if you don't know, one of the ways Judd and I do this podcast is we like to save, we like to have one person do like one kind of topic and then the other person do another kind of topic. That way the information that we hear from each other isn't just in one ear and out the other because we already know this stuff. We got to get to actually talk. So Judd is a dark matter expert, which is crazy because 
that means he's the only one because dark matter is something that <laughs> nobody knows that much succinctly about because um, it is kind of a mystery, hence the word dark, right? W- wouldn't call myself the expert, yeah. but uh, I'm term- to talk about this. Between you and I, I'll between. give you that crown. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. It's all about perspective. Right. <laughs> so here is an interesting fact. 5% of the universe is normal matter, only 5%. Okay. So if you really think about that, everything that's out there, only 5% of it is no- the normal matter that we know, physical thing that we could touch. Right. That's interesting. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, only 5% of only it. Only 5%. So, so we, what's the other 95%? Exactly. And that's what we don't know. But here, that's the hypothesis behind dark matter. Right. So the hypothesis is that there's about five times more dark matter than there is regular matter. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know. That, that metric seems interesting because we, don't, we can't observe dark matter, first of all. That's why it got the name dark. Um, it used to be called dunkel materie, which from German dunkel means... Dunkel materie. Missing mass? No, I believe oh. it's, I think it's dark. I think it is dark matter. Well, Oh, in German? Yeah, in German. Okay. Or it's very, something very similar. Dunkel. So the dark part of it comes from the fact that we can't see it. Right. Um, so it's black. Right. But not black. But not black. Just, just invisible. invisible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jinx, what the heck? <laughs> um, so yeah, we think there's five times more dark matter. So that means 5% um, regular matter. And then we have 25 <laughs> Uh, a range of like 25 to 27 percent yeah because how do you um, measure that exactly right it's hard it's hard to observe right so it's it's an estimate that there's 27 percent dark matter five percent normal matter and then the rest of that is 68 percent dark energy yes which we'll get into yeah that just sounds really cool and you know (laughs) here's something that's interesting yeah dark energy is the easiest plot hole in any sci-fi movie certainly like you could call like oh it's a suit made of dark entirely dark energy and gives him all his power no um so you're talking about those ratios five percent to 25 percent to 70 percent yep dark energy is 70 percent around that now would you believe me if i said that the 70 percent dark energy is equal to the 30 percent of all other matter well i didn't know that no because fractionally it's not how yeah. can you say something is 70% and 30%? But if we look at the effect that they have on the universe, you know, not mm-hmm. the overall space they take up. Um, and it's, you know, hard to compare properties because we don't know a lot about dark matter, or dark energy. Just to say their matter or energy could be wrong. Right. However, their effect on the universe and its expansion and what we know about the size of the universe is at this point in time, roughly equivalent. So, okay, say that again. So explain that again. So right. how are these equivalent? In what way? So we'll get into something called the Friedman equation later, which allows us to look at how the universe is expanding and what factors are causing its expansion or uh, collapsing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the ex- difference between ex- there's expansion and there's well, uh, attraction, yeah, so I guess. It's yeah. expanding, but then there's this equal and opposite force, right. which we need to get into later. Right. I think. But yeah, they, ca- they are equivalent in the way that based on how big our observable universe is right now in the amount of matter that's inside, so the dark matter and the regular matter, their effect on the expansion of the universe, so how fast we're moving outwards, okay. so is roughly equivalent. So they're equivalent in this speed or exp- the speed of the expansion yeah. of the universe. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, so not fractionally, but yeah, based on their effect. Okay, so... Here, more on dark matter. Sweet. Um, so it doesn't react with normal matter. That's one thing that we hypothesize is that it doesn't react with normal matter in any sort of um, tangible way. So it doesn't emit or absorb light. Right. Um, and like it can't like, you're saying it can't like touch normal matter? No. Because how can we say that? What if you like flew up into space with a spaceship? And in the spaceship, how do we know it's not touching dark matter, I guess? I guess we're, well, it could be like in the... It's very complicated. It's not reacting with it. I know what you're saying. Yeah, Yeah. it's not reacting with it. The only way that we know what it reacts with, the only thing we know that it reacts with is gravity. Yeah. Um, So the first time that we think we saw dark matter was in 1933 by an astronomer named Fritz Zwicky. Um, Him and a team of astronomers were looking at this coma cluster of stars. Okay. And they noticed that, so this cluster was moving too quickly it was rotating too quickly towards the outside than right. it should have been. The way it was spinning. This cluster of stars was spinning differently than we would have expected. Right. Okay. So the idea was 
they're in a cluster of stars. Yeah. The center of that cluster should have more mass. Right. Um, because there's generally in the center of a cluster, there's like a dark, a black hole. Right. Um, which is much more massive and has m- much more strength. Like the one at the center of the Milky Way. Right. right. Something like that. Um, so we expect more mass to be towards the center. Right. Um, and in a spinning object like that, uh, that was true. We could, the, m- the mass that we could observe, the normal matter, there was more in the center than there was on the outside, and it gradually got, got less and less, less, and less. on the outside. Right. However, so that would, mean, that would mean that the rotational speed at the center is faster than, is the, outside. Faster than the outside. However, right. what this team of astronomers observed is that they were moving at almost the exact same speed. Wow. So the outside of that cluster was moving way too fast for there to be, there, there needed to be something else happening here that we weren't observing. Yeah. And so that's where we got the idea of dark matter. Fritz Wicke proposed that there's some sort of matter, some sort of matter there that's yeah. affecting gravity, the gravity's stronger, um, that, that's making this spin faster. Yeah. That's crazy because I knew that dark matter affected, that's basically all I knew about it. I knew it affected based on our observations, the spinning of galaxies and that it's faster than we would have expected. But I didn't really realize, I guess, that you're right. It should be spinning faster at the center. But in fact, this whole thing is spinning as kind of one celestial object, one cluster of stars. I just came up with a crazy theory that maybe I'll get back into when we get to dark energy. But that's, that's interesting because just the idea, it's always mesmerized me, the idea that a cluster of solar systems or a galaxy itself is there in the first place and why these objects aren't right. just they're, floating they're around in, in certain, space. They're, why are they where they are? Because they could be anywhere. Right, exactly. And I think that's just interesting because it has to do with the beginning of the universe. Now, at the beginning of the universe, if you're a cosmologist right now, is like the worst topic because the James Webb Telescope is completely redefining how we think about the expansion of the universe and why things are where they are. But at the same time, there's these things called baryon acoustic oscillations, which Mm -hmm. I don't know a lot about. Maybe we'll get into the future, but essentially prehistoric sound waves that were emitted shortly after the beginning of the universe, which helped to kind of when these sound waves kind of cemented themselves into the fabric of the universe, Mm -hmm. they helped to define the the galaxies and the matter inside the universe culminated on these acoustic waves right and so kind of show us the map of the universes around where we where these sound waves would have like cemented into the fabric because i mean if you think of like ripples in water or something like that and you have something floating over that water um it generally tends to like stick kind of sword the same way, but also like vibrate a little bit and move yeah. up and down with those waves. And so yeah. that's kind of like, you're saying that's kind of what's dictating where these objects are. Yeah, right. Something similar to that. And, uh, you know, who knows if that has something to do with gravitational waves. Right. And, you know, there's a misnomer there because we call it gravitational waves because it makes sense. We call it baryon acoustic oscillations because it makes sense. And we model them kind of as a wave. But when it comes to observing things that are outside, maybe our understanding with our senses, such as sight you know we can't see them and we're basing our hypotheses off of observations that's where naming things gets really tricky and it may in fact dictate where research goes in the future and you know head us possibly in a wrong direction you know scientists are usually smarter than that but still and we do gravitational waves have been i guess proved a couple times um through mainly the ligo experiment which was we talked about about that a very long laser that um, any senses the movement right in the length of the laser changes as a wave passes through yeah, it. It's extremely, extremely sensitive laser that, yeah. that's moving as it's literally getting stretched or shrunk based on right. gravity kind of moving it. Yeah. We measure it in like microns or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not a wave like the one you surf, but maybe in the <laughs> future when we're hopefully. in spaceships, hopefully we we're can getting s- so far. Oh my away. gosh. Yeah. Hold on. Bring, bring it back. Bring it back to dark matter. So we need some glue to stick this conversation back together because okay. it's falling apart. All right. Um, so one thing that they hypothesized with that coma cluster that these objects towards the outside were moving um, too quickly is that if there weren't something, if there weren't some other force there, 
these objects were so far away and moving like so quickly that they would literally be flung off into space, like away yeah. from, they would escape the gravity of whatever black hole or something that's at the center of this cluster. Yeah. They would escape it and fly off into space. So what they said is this dark matter is the glue of the universe that's holding all of the normal matter together. Right. And see, that's kind of my thought when you were talking about these um, clusters. My first thought that came to my brain was, if we don't know a lot about why dark matter is here, we can observe it, it presents itself to us, and mm. we see we've done that through observations, but we don't really know, we don't know the why to anything, essentially, in the universe. We know we can explain phenomenon, but we don't know, you know, why we're here, or why this is like this, or this is like this. We just know, we just write the rule book as we observe it. Right. So, what is the force, or why did the universe, when it was created, decide that it's going to introduce this dark matter if its purpose is to keep these clusters together, you know? Perhaps it's because this is, our galaxy is like our neighborhood. So as the cosmos continues to expand further and further apart and intergalactic travel seems very hard, or like traveling actually between galaxies, right. at least we still have our Milky Way to surround ourselves in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That seems distant. <laughs> but maybe likely. Like yeah, that, that's be. Yeah. That's, I mean, exciting to think about, yeah. definitely. I'm no cosmologist. Um, okay, so we've talked a little, bit about, a little bit about what dark matter is. AJ, do you want to tell us maybe what d dark energy is and maybe how it relates or contrasts from, yeah. from dark matter? Yeah, well, so the really challenging thing is, is that it's a little difficult to say dark matter and dark energy could be related. Mm -hmm. There's one thing that sticks out right away that makes you think, okay, maybe they're related, and that's the fact that it says dark at the front, right? Yeah. If you ask me, I wouldn't say explicitly right now with our knowledge that they're related. There are theories that try to unify them and say maybe this dark matter property that we can observe is related to dark energy, but it's not likely uh, with our information that we know right now that the two are related. I guess that one there was one theory that I read about that I did think held a little bit of ground. And I'll, so I'll talk about that quickly, which there was a guy who wrote a paper maybe in the last six or seven years, a okay. physicist, theoretical physicist, and he proposed that dark matter was a particle with negative mass. So like we think of matter as, you know, things that have mass. Right. And we still don't know if dark matter is even matter, but it is one idea. It's like, what, what if the mass of it was negative? This is really easy to do it mathematically, I guess, but it's hard to wrap your brain around what would something with negative mass, how would that behave? What would the properties be like? Yeah. But so let's think about Newtonian physics for a second. Gravity, the force of gravity is related to the mass of the objects right. and the distance. Yep. So and then I guess like a, some gravitational constant. Right. As well. Yeah. The G. Yep. Right. So, um, and that's like, like, you can look up that equation, Newton's law of gravity. But so what if one of the masses was negative? We, you know, a negative multiplied by a positive is still negative. Right. So Some that makes our force of gravity negative. Let's pretend we're bringing a negative and a positive uh, piece of matter together, okay. right? Or pieces of matter. So we've got the negative, which is the dark energy and, or dark matter, and the positive, which is the regular matter. And we bring them close together. Okay. Well, based on that, that equation, the force of attraction should be negative. So they should be pushing away from each other. Mm. Right? Of a negative and a positive? Or negative something? and a positive. That makes negative. So they should push apart. Versus two positives brings together, just like us standing on the earth. Right? Two positive. Well, wait. That would be opposite of what maybe I think of as attraction, right? Because you have a negative and a positive, yeah. which should attract each other. Negative and a Right. But that's with, like, electromagnetism and stuff like okay, that. Okay. So this Let's is, think about... This is different. So when you... You're in aerospace. When you're calculating the the gravity between, like an orbiting object in the earth, sure. you think about the mass of the orbiting object and then the mass of the earth and then the distance between them. Yep. And so that force of attraction is equal to that. Yep. So if we have a negative and a positive, negative times a positive, you get a negative number. And so right now the force of attraction is negative versus normal matter, positive and positive has a positive force of attraction. Okay. So I see what you're saying. So yes. if when we have two positives, we have this positive force yep. in the equation we have a positive right that means that these things are being attracted right but then if we have a negative that means these things are being pushed away from pushed each away other. from each other okay. exactly so now let's think about one other equation that newton gave us and that's f equals ma yep so if f equals ma judd what does a equal 
A would be acceleration, which is... No, I mean, like, like re, like organize the equation so A equals... Oh, force divided by mass. Force divided by mass, exactly. Now, in a normal situation, A is going to be positive because the... F or if the force is positive, the A is going to be positive, right, right? Right. Now, what if the F was negative? Now you've got negative... Of, for the positive particle, you've got negative acceleration, meaning it's moving away. Right. But for the negative, you've got positive acceleration. Positive acceleration. So these two particles that you're bringing together, the force of attraction is pushing them apart, and the positive particle is also moving apart, but the negative particle is chasing that positive particle. Okay. So it's a weird thing to think about. It's like if I pushed you and you moved towards me, or if I pulled you and you moved away from me, it's really weird to think about. Right. So what's we're measuring? <laughs> hold on, one second. So we're measuring the. So we have the f equals ma. Yep. We're measuring specifically this this negative mass. Right. Um. So that would make the f negative mm -hmm. because of the the masses in there. Yep. But that would wouldn't that also make the mass, mass. of the f equals ma exactly as well? So then that's we why the acceleration is positive. Positive. Create the positive. But for the positive particle, <laughs> since the mass is still positive, then it's a negative acceleration. Right. Okay. So the idea of this is, is that while these particles want to push away from each other, the negative particles acceleration acts differently than when we would expect. And it moves, still moves towards the positive particle. Still moves towards it. So, so we're saying that there's still something we haven't figured out yet and that Ex why this, that should be positive acceleration, but it isn't. Exactly. Okay. So this guy, what this guy does in his paper, he puts a bunch of particles into a simulation essentially where he's got this galaxy cluster okay. of positive particles. And then he introduces this halo of negative particles. And what happens? The galaxy starts to spin faster because even though these particles, the negative and the positive, are being repelled away from each other, kind of like your theory, you were saying they can't interact with each other. They're being repelled away, and yet the negative consistently accelerates towards the positive particle and reduces that distance. So you're saying maybe, maybe dark, his theory was that maybe dark matter just is like this this kind of like shell around yes. all normal matter exactly around these big galaxies around these huge galaxy clusters not okay. necessarily like around you and me right now yeah but it be yeah be around, around like these large celestial bodies exactly okay and so this is more of a mathematical hypothesis but he did i think where the paper kind of fell through in the scientific community was when he tried to marry dark matter with dark energy and say maybe every place in the void of space is filled with this negatively charged particle. The reason that falls through is because based on our recordings of how fast the universe is, is expanding right now, even if you had this negative mass particle on the inside, that would create a positive pressure that's actually pulling the universe inwards. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense to me. So and the, then yeah. Also, because if you fill it with matter, then it would still have some sort of um, pull. And it would seem, it wouldn't make sense to me that if there's this other type of matter that you know, because the two negatives would still, if there was two negatives next to each other, they would still attract. They would each still other. attract, so right? There would be parts where there was more than yeah others than others. Yes. Yeah, so it like might a, not be constant everywhere. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it does fall through, but like that just shows you how difficult it is to like just the, our our conversation there right. doing negatives and positive and positive and negative. It's like that just shows you how hard it is to have a unifying theory of the two of them, especially when you don't really understand the nature of either. Right. So I guess it, it made sense on a mathematical right. perspective, but maybe not a, a physical perspective. Right. Now, it's hard to have that conversation we were having about dark energy if I haven't really talked about what dark energy is yet. Right. So let me just define that quick. Scientists believed that when we first recorded our recorded the expansion of the universe, which is a difficult process, and just to go over it quickly, we need two things to measure the um, expansion of the universe. We need one, the distance between us and the object, we're measuring the expansion between. Mm -hmm. And then we need the redshift. And redshift, really quickly, is like when light, and Judd, you can tell me how well I uh, put this, hopefully elegantly, when light comes towards Earth, it, it changes its wavelength, essentially goes, moves towards a lower wavelength when it's traveling through space because that space that it's traveling between, when it's an empty space, is expanding and right. so once it hits us it has shifted towards the red side of visible light yeah the wavelength would, would be larger uh, exactly so it's so if you have a stationary object 
this object's emitting waves that mm -hmm. would be like the same. If you measure it at any distance around from the stationary object, the wavelength would be the same. Right. However, let's say we start moving that object away from where we're measuring. So if we move that object away from where we're measuring, this wavelength is getting stretched just because this object is moving the other way. Yeah. Um, there's, if you look up a picture of redshift online, it'll uh, make a, more a sense. diagram, it'll make more sense. These exactly. waves that get the waves in the front of the object in the direction of the object's motion, yep. get the wavelength gets shorter yep. and then away from the object gets uh, greater. Greater. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Well said. So essentially we need that redshift to measure the expansion, but we also need the distance because as we found, distance is, or sorry, the expansion of the universe is proportional to an object's distance from Earth. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that doesn't make sense, isn't that like Earth? That doesn't ma that make the like whole universe Earth-centered? But it would be true regardless of where you are, because everything is expanding right. in every direction, just getting wider all around. Right. Because right. I think the idea was that there's, and tell me if I'm wrong, but isn't the idea is that that there's this expansion like constant? Exactly. For uh, however m much space between you and something else. Exactly. Uh, the greater that space, you multiply by some constant, yep. and then that's how much that space will expand. Right. That's a whole, that's a huge discussion is whether or not dark energy is constant. Uh, but so we, like I was saying, we have to measure the, both the expansion and then the distance. And the distance we measure just through, we look at distant stars and we say that we, we think because this is a, you know, quasar, or this is a white dwarf or whatever, it's supposed to explode at this level of brightness okay. or whatever. And if it, it still has that, we can measure based on how the intensity changes when we observe it on Earth, how far away that object must, must have been. Okay. Right. Sure. And so that's how we are really looking at the expansion of the universe is through those two things, the expansion and the distance. Now, scientists believe that over time, the universe would stop expanding and it would start contracting right mm -hmm. because of all the mass if everything that is and never will be is inside the universe then won't it pull everything back in on itself after a certain amount of time right yeah. because if the big bang was real um which again the james webb telescope is kind of uh, overturning the apple cart if the big bang was real then there was some kinetic energy at the start of the creation of the universe that pushed everything outwards right. and then the mass inside would eventually slow that and bring it back to a halt. Right, because let's say this was an explosion with some initial amount of energy. That's what we hypothesize or whatever for mm -hmm. the Big Bang. Um, I mean, if you if you just drop something in water, you can see the waves at the center are going to be bigger and then slowly it dissipates. And yeah. in explosions, you see the same thing. The center is very strong, and then slowly as that energy gets dispersed over more area, yeah. It slows down and goes to a stop. However, right. this isn't what we're seeing right, in exactly. the expansion of the universe. It's Ex getting faster. Exactly. And that's where this idea of dark energy comes in. If the universe is not expanding in the way that we expect it to based on what's inside of it, there has to be some force that is continually pushing out against the vacuum of space. Right. And so that's where we come to dark energy. And so that originally, actually, I think comes from Einstein because he thinks there has to be something opposing gravity yep. because otherwise everything would be pulling itself in. And that's where he introduces this thing called the cosmological constant. The cosmological constant is based off the idea that dark energy itself is constant. So as the universe expands and creates more space in outer space, then the energy density inside of that is constant. So as new space is created, new dark energy is created. Okay. And so if you looked at any chunk of the void of space, the dark energy in it would be constant. Uh, but depending on this whole argument of whether or not dark energy is constant, that would determine, I guess, the fate of the rest of the universe. Yeah, and it's it was interesting because Einstein actually later came back and said that this, his theory of the cosmological constant may be his, the biggest blunder, the biggest mistake he made. So he went out and said that. But now we're seeing maybe this, the idea of the cosmological constant uh, is coming back and more and more scientists are saying, okay, maybe this does make sense. And we can't observe dark matter or dark energy directly. It doesn't have you know, an exactly observable effect. Um, any, like at least 
where we are in, in space in this huge cluster of regular matter, it doesn't have an observable f- effect anywhere near that of regular matter. Right. Especially in areas where there's just regular matter hanging out. So if you took all the dark energy around the Milky Way galaxy okay. and inside the Milky Way galaxy and you converted it to mass via E equals MC squared, it would be equivalent to that of a grain of sand. So that really right. goes to show that anywhere where there's even a spattering of regular matter, dark energy doesn't have a significant effect. Right. That changes when we get out into space. And that's why we know that the universe is expanding is because it is dark energy driven in these areas of space. Right. So it's, it's one, it's one reason that we, we are able to put towards the, the fact that it's expanding and, and we're seeing that with the red shift yeah. um, because as these, the waves are traveling through space, these waves are literally getting stretched by this expansion. Right. So one thing that needs to be understood um, when we think about this red shift uh, and that how we're observing it is that the expansion of the universe isn't happening at some barrier around the edge of the universe. We, this isn't some sphere that we're living in that's slowly getting bigger. The expansion is happening everywhere everywhere in the universe, like at every point. And that's why we think the, and that's why we see the redshift. Yeah. So in every, in the distance between us and any other galaxy, we believe that that area is getting bigger. Right. So instead of thinking it, thinking of it as some sphere getting larger, think of it as inflating a balloon. So the, the balloon's getting bigger at the outside, but that's because you're putting more stuff in the On the inside. Yeah. That's awesome. So two main theories have been proposed or two studies have been conducted on the universe essentially which is a weird thing to say <laughs> conduct a study on the entire universe two con- or two experiments have been done in which scientists are trying to understand how fast the universe is expanding and that's known as the hubble constant so like that just tells us how fast the universe is expanding right now it's somewhere in between or somewhere around 67 kilometers per second per megaparsec in 73 kilometers per second per megaparsec. And that last part, the megaparsec, that's telling us, like I said, the expansion is relative to the distance from Earth. So depending on how far away it is, it's expanding even faster. I guess hearing like the, the Hubble constant got me kind of curious as to how are the Hubble constant and the cosmolo- cosmological constant kind of like related. I mean, wouldn't those be sort of the same thing? So the cosmological constant doesn't tell us how fast the universe is expanding. The cosmological constant helps us understand whether or not the acceleration is speeding up or slowing down because it introduces into the equations of Friedman, who wanted to measure how fast the universe is expanding. It tells us whether or not that expansion is speeding up or slowing down based on the dark energy inside the universe. Now, let me kind of give a really baby TED talk of the Friedman equation. It's basically like, you said when there's an explosion, there's the kinetic energy originally from the start of the explosion. Now, the other piece of that is the potential energy of the gravity inside the universe. And so there should be two things. There should be kinetic energy outwards and gravitational potential energy inwards. And this should equal zero. However, it doesn't. It equals the Hubble constant, which is the expansion rate of the universe. Okay, that makes more sense. So when we, there's the missing piece of this that, is telling us why it's still expanding, even though uh, we expect it to be different. And that's the cosmological constant. Right. So you have this plus this, and then the cosmological constant is introduced because these things don't equal zero. And so this cosmological constant, I keep saying, there's a huge question between whether or not it actually is constant. Yeah. And this brings us something to something called the equation of state, which is kind of a huge topic, uh, which I'll get into. We'll, we'll talk about, obviously, in the future, because most of our topics are circular, especially as we get out into this like big universe stuff. But so the equation of state, let's have a basic understanding. It's the relationship between the energy density and pressure. So you don't really have to understand a lot about that now, other than just those are the two things we're looking at. We're looking at the pressure that matter exerts on the universe, and then Mm -hmm. we're looking at the energy density that it has. And so when we look at something like um, dark energy, well, dark energy exerts a negative pressure, and it, the pressure that it exerts is, or sorry, the pressure that it exerts is much less of a factor than the, the energy density that it has. Okay. So with normal matter, this should be around zero. It is zero because things have pressure and they don't, the pressure of matter is much bigger than the energy density because 
just normal mass doesn't have energy inherently, right? Right. I mean, well, if you go does. down to like protons and electrons and stuff e like that, it has... squared, the idea right. is it does, but that's not um, energy that's being actively used. It's right. Not, it's not resting energy. But if we it look, is resting energy, sorry. Yeah. But if we look at our ideas of dark energy and we're like, okay, well, this isn't regular matter. This is just energy. Now that introduces something with a lot more outwards power rather than inwards power. Right. And that's the cosmological constant. And now two teams have set out, like I said, one is to understand how fast the universe is expanding. And I said it's somewhere between like 67 and 73 kilometers per second per megaparsec. One way of looking at this is we can do that thing I was t saying at the start where you can look at these distant stars exploding or distant suns or whatever, and they're supposed to pulsate at a certain frequency. We know this, but based on the way that the light changes when it gets to us, and not redshift, I mean like the intensity of the light, we can say the distance. And then we look at the redshift and we calculate how much expansion happened and how quickly it happened. Mm -hmm. based on how far, how long it took the light to travel to us. And we say, okay, the universe must be expanding at 73 kilometers per second per megaparsec, sure. plus or minus whatever their error. Sure. The other team was like, no, let's look at the cosmic background or cosmic microwave background radiation. Have okay. you heard about this at all? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not super familiar with it other than that when the universe, the early universe was in this hot, dense state, it... And once the universe expanded, it created kind of this map of radiation from the early universe that scientists can actually look at using some of the telescopes that we've invented and make calculations about the expansion of the universe using this cosmic microwave background radiation. Yeah, and so these are these are I mean different type of telescopes than than yeah, when just you think taking of the pictures and stuff. Yeah. yeah, these are radio telescopes. Right, exactly. And so it's wicked math that they do, but they came around a number that's about sixty-seven kilometers per second per megaparsec. And you might be thinking off. like, yeah, you, right, exactly. That was my first thought. It's like, how could these numbers be so close to each other without it being by coincidence? Right. So right? There's, this maybe they, maybe they really are, maybe this really is a thing. If, if two different studies are finding similar results, maybe, maybe this isn't a coincidence. Maybe there's something out there. Exactly. So let's, before we continue this conversation, let's just say that we need, obviously, the more data we can get, the better. And so mm -hmm. the more we look through telescopes and look at distant galaxies and stuff like this, the more we might lean towards one side or the other. But for the moment, it's like, okay, well, which one of these is right? Because if we're looking at the cosmic microwave background radiation, we're kind of looking more at a history of the universe. Right. Versus if we're looking at things now, we're looking at more of the present universe. And so what was different about looking at the stars in the present universe? Well, that's a greater expansion rate, right? Oh, okay. And so it's possible that, you know, through the difference between these two things, what if the, co what if the um, dark energy isn't constant, but actually increasing over time? Interesting. So that would mean that eventually, as mass moves further and further apart from each other in the universe, eventually their effect on one another, regular matter, would be diluted so much that eventually the universe's expansion would be completely and utterly dark energy dominated. This would mean that this thing we call the cosmic event horizon would get closer and closer to where we are now. And eventually this dark energy would be able to rip apart normal matter, Interesting. which is called the big rip. And it's just one of the <laughs> theories that scientists like to postulate when we say, what's going to happen at the end of the universe? Well, okay, what if every single atom down to the quark level is r entirely ripped apart from one another because dark energy continues to consume more and more space and grow stronger as space expands. Yeah. The big rip sounds a lot like something <laughs> that might happen after a night at Taco Bell or something. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? Good one. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, Judd, this is getting cr kind of crazy. Let's take a break and then come back into it. I want to hear about some of these experiments where they, you know, find dark matter in the yeah. universe. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's do, do it. it. Okay, and we're back from the break. Before Judd takes over here, I need to calm him down a little bit because I can see down. him. Yeah, I can see you sweating because I'm you're fuming. worried. Yeah, you're worried about the big rip. <laughs> I'm concerned that it might start to smell a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Do not fret if you're listening to this and you're thinking, what if the universe just rips itself apart as it, this dark energy thing grows stronger and stronger? Let's not jump to conclusions about what we think we know about dark energy yet. And when we measure this thing I mentioned earlier called the equation of state for dark energy, so we look at the difference between 
pressure and energy density. Mm-hmm. If it's negative one, that's the the best number to get if you're a mathematician calculating the equation of state parameter, because that means that dark energy is constant. Okay. Okay. Don't worry about the math behind it, but sure. just know that negative one is the target number. And when we've done this through all these experiments, even though we can't find exactly how fast the universe is expanding, we get around negative 1.02 okay. plus or minus 0.03. Okay. So that within the error there is this idea that the cosmological constant is in fact constant. And you can pretty much rest easy knowing that if we could calculate it at negative one, and it's so close to being negative one, it's likely not a coincidence in that with more data and more observations, we'll find that it really is in fact negative one. So hopefully that means that this big rip won't happen. Yeah. Okay, so we'll be good. There's a tiny possibility. So, you know, entertain that thought if you'd like to think about an otherworldly demise of every atom being ripped apart. But it is very likely that, in fact, the Big Rip will not happen. And even if it did, I'd know none of us will be here in about 73 billion years. So <laughs> we'll be good. We'll be all right. Yeah. Okay, Judd. I think you need to do a little bit more convincing before I am entirely sure about this dark matter stuff. So right. let's hear about some of the experiments that have... we can't observe it. Right. We can't observe it with like physically. So right. So how are we going to... Well, we can't observe it by seeing it. It doesn't right. it doesn't interact with light. So how do we know it's real? And right. how are we trying to prove its existence? But tell me this, Judd. Can you see every wavelength of light? No. And can you hear every, um, you know, frequency of sound? No. Exactly. So it's logical to assume that something like dark matter could exist. Right. We're not saying, yeah, you don't have to see something, but we still do need to find a way to prove that it's there. Exactly. So. Seeing is not believing, but science really helps believing. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. Sure. Over the past, uh, so dark matter, like we said, we first kind of hypothesized it in ni- the 1930s. Yeah. So since then, there have been over 50 different experiments that have tried to uh, find it and to show that it exists. Um, however, only one of them has come with any sort of results that say, okay, here we found dark matter. Um, so this experiment is called the Dama Libra. Uh, uh, obs- <coughs> this experiment is called the Dama Libra detector. Um, it's in the Swiss Alps, buried deep underground. And what they have noticed is that they see an increase of dark matter um, observations in June and a, like a trough. So they see a maximum in June and a minimum in November. So it's on the six-month cycle that we see... Um, six increase. Earth month, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, six so Earth month. So the idea is, and the way that they think, the reason they think this is, is because, so half of the year, so one thing to understand is that the sun is moving through space. Yeah. The sun is moving through space and we're orbiting around the sun. Yeah. So half of the year, and this also happens to be in June, starting in June, uh, between the six month cycle between June and November also matches up with when the sun is moving when the earth is moving with the sun versus mm-hmm. when the earth is moving the opposite direction as the sun. Yeah. So meaning we believe dark matter is scattered kind of everywhere, meaning we're going to run through more of it as we're moving with the sun because we're traveling over a further distance. We're traveling through more space as we're moving with the sun than as we're moving the opposite direction. Yeah. So that matches up with this June and November cycle. And However, so, well, when you say moving with away from the sun, you don't mean really that like are we getting further away from no, the sun no, no. like slightly or what's going on well there there is there's part of that too but that's not that's not what we're seeing here i mean moving like the what? opposite direction of the sun so the sun's traveling say this way yep and we're orbiting it like this right so for this part of the cycle we're moving with the sun oh, the same direction versus when we oh because the sun's moving see that visualization is actually helpful because like you're saying when when the orbit is in line with the direction of acceleration of the sun versus when the orbit would be throwing us backwards through space right so we're moving as we're moving the same direction as the sun with the sun um we're we're traveling through more space than we are if we're moving against the sun yeah the opposite direction yeah so that and that matches up with this june and november cycle um so that's why we think this is. However, 
There are other things that also match up with this. So, for example, the amount of snow on the Swiss Alps. Um, for example, the, the tourist population in nearby Italy, because these are very sensitive equipment. Um, and a bunch of other factors. So we're not sure. So what, yeah. how do we prove that this is real and this is what we're seeing? We build another detector <laughs> um, and the, like, across the globe, so in Australia. So we just brute force it. Another one. Yeah, so yeah, okay. because both of these detectors are on Earth, and they're moving either with the sun or against yeah. the sun at the same time. But in very different parts. But in different parts of the Earth that would experience different climate and other factors. So we, we, if we see the same results from this, then it is likely that maybe we actually have detected dark matter. Yeah. So this, um, this experiment is built in a gold mine, or not a gold mine necessarily. I don't remember exactly what they're mining for, but in yeah. a deep underground. Yeah. Because um, deep underground... Um, it's not being impacted by like part, not being impacted by particles from space that break yeah. through the Earth's atmosphere and, and would mess with the detectors. Yeah, because they're really sensitive. Right, these are extremely sensitive. So like how you. these work? Okay, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how these work is it's a crystal, a sodium iodide crystal, and that when a dark matter quote unquote particle. Mm -hmm. um, interacts or it it runs through a sodium um ion, a sodium ion um it emits light yeah and so this is light that we can observe through some extremely sensitive sensors um and we can see this this small amount of light that is that is emitted when dark matter travels through sodium yeah a sodium ion yeah um, however these crystals no matter how pure we get them the way that we manufacture them, there is um, some radioactive potassium inside the crystal. And so as this radioactive potassium decays, it emits a photon, which if it emits a, an electron, which if interacting, if it interacts with the sodium, it also releases light. Yeah. So the way that we um, distinguish between these two events is that um, sodium uh, or the potassium will, the electron will, interact with this liquid that we have in these tanks called linear alkylbenzene. And if it interacts with this, it also emits light. However, the dark matter particle won't. Right. So if we're getting light emitted without emission from this liquid, then we know that the light is being emitted because of an inter interaction with a dark matter particle. Right. So if we see a flash of light in the crystal and the liquid, we know, okay, this is the, the potassium um, decaying. Or if we see just one flash in the crystal, then this is the observation of dark matter. That's awesome. I didn't even think about that as a way to detect. Well, me saying I didn't even think about that is like I could <laughs> I have came up with that on my own. But that's crazy, a way to detect dark matter. Because you're so, you're, that's so strange to think that part of the year, because at first when you're saying six-month cycle, I'm like, okay, what are the likelihoods that this universal event of dark matter aligns with our Earth months? But that makes sense. When you look at our orbit, we can fly through more dark matter as we collide with it in space. Yep. That's awesome. And to think that putting a thing like that underground can still detect dark matter because it's not interacting with our regular matter right, in the way that it usually through, would. But these other particles that are coming from space that would mess with the detector can't penetrate the mountain, the Swiss Alps, or the underneath to this gold mine. What month is it, May? So I'm just like, I'm here soaking up all my dark matter right now. <laughs> as it's flying through me. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. The one, the only thing I knew about dark matter detection was the idea that like, if we look at distant lights in space or galaxies, whatever, the light bends as it comes to us, as it flows through certain parts of space. Yeah. And that's because there has to be some clump of something there that is affecting it in a way that dark matter would, you know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not physically like... The only interaction that we know of that dark matter interacts is with gravity. Is gravity. Yeah, so. exactly. So it has it pulls these light particles in, just like when we can we can actually see something behind a huge body like a sun, if the light bends around the sun because of its right. gravity. Yeah. yeah. So it's the same kind of thing with dark matter. But wow, that is kind of actually incredible science talking about that dark matter with that thing underground. And whoever came up with that is just a genius. I don't know. There's no way. It, there's no way I could ever come up with that. You could lock me in a prison cell and say, either solve a Rubik's Cube or invent a new way to detect dark matter. And I would just probably... Hopefully figure out the Rubik's hopefully Cube. Hopefully figure out the <laughs> Rubik's Cube. Exactly. Even, yeah, I don't know. It's, that's just incredible.
even after maybe, but what if you got your physics PhD or something first? Do you feel a little more confident? What do you think you could solve first? Well, judging, I'd have to calculate the rotational inertia of the Rubik's cube first. You know, <laughs> okay. that's not something I can, you know, what if my hands get tired? So that's a, that's a big uh, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Cramps. Yeah. Stuff. I don't not, I'm not big on cramps. Yeah. Carpal tunnel. That'll mm, be a killer. How am I supposed to invent new dark way, n- new ways to detect dark matter if I've got carpal tunnel syndrome? <laughs> so basically, as you can see, Judd and I know just about as much as anybody else about these things, which is nothing in that we will just have to continue to watch um, new events unfold as we throw new technology out into space and see what it tells us. Yeah, see what this new, uh, this Dama Libra detector, see what it finds. Yeah. I'm excited to see what are the first results of that, and if they see the same cycle, then yeah, maybe we've proved dark matter. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, this has been a really exciting episode just to talk about something so interesting. I've been yeah. waiting for an episode like this um, for a while, ever since we talked about black holes, just something to get your brain spinning about the crazy stuff it's in the very universe. theoretical so it's yeah. it's fun to try to find okay which theory do i believe in yeah nothing like a conversation about dark energy that makes you want to go hug the nearest physicist <laughs> so yeah for all the work that they do yeah for all the the great work that they do for us <laughs> um and they don't get paid for it as much <laughs> as much as they'd probably like so yeah some of them yeah some of them <laughs> maybe not others Okay, well, thanks so much for listening, guys, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, on Thursday of this week, well, and, and, you know, that's not aligned, I guess, when I say coming that with very our soon. release schedule. But yeah, coming very soon, um, but recording this week, we're having a huge special guest on, um, so just stay tuned for that. And yeah, if you're listening to this episode, definitely check out the next yeah. one. You'll, uh, you won't regret it. If you liked even just two words of what we said, you will like the next episode even more. So yeah, stay he tuned. He also for has that. a very nice voice that might be better than ours. He's got a great voice. He's got a great voice. Maybe not better than mine, but definitely oh. better than Judd's. Definitely better than Judd's. Dang, I'm gonna have to. Uh, no, don't don't say anything. The, uh, don't say anything. We're gonna have to ask the the viewers what they think on th- on Thursday. Yeah. After okay. So comes out. Who's got a better voice? Yeah. Of that, a poll. That'll be the poll that comes out, not the <laughs> usual. Did you like the episode? But yes. Well, that's something we want to know now, though. Did you like the episode? So make sure to leave. Um, or review or a rating or whatever, or get in touch Any with feedback, us and some feedback, yeah. anything. We'd love it. Um, we'd like to hear back from you guys because we love just doing this podcast and talking about weird things and arguing with each other on occasion. So <laughs> yeah, um, stay tuned for the next episode. Otherwise, hold on to your helmets or whatever astronauts say to each other before they take off and just, I don't know, I want the episode to end. Hold on to your helmets. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye.